Hello, this is Peggy Joyce Ruth. Welcome to our podcast and hope you enjoy this teaching. If you would like to listen to more in-depth teachings, please sign up for our Psalm 91 family at PeggyJoyceRuth.org. Because I touched on David and Goliath, I began to review again so familiar story. This is one of my very favorite stories in the Bible. I guess every man, woman, boy, and girl has heard the story of David and Goliath and how the little shepherd boy killed the giant with a slingshot. It's become so familiar through the years, and we think of it as just a childhood story. We think of it as just a story for entertainment. But there's so much more in this story involved in what meets the eye. In fact, there's a wealth of information in this Old Testament story. So tonight, I'm wanting us to see that every single thing that we need to know about the overcoming life is included in this story. Now, I hope you have your Bibles. I want you to turn to 1 Samuel 17. If you don't, well, try to scoot next to somebody else. Mark in your Bible. I want you to mark some things in your Bible. I have three main objectives for this Bible study. Number one objective, I want us to read the story and I want us to see how to take a portion of Scripture from the Old Testament and get the very most out of it. That's one objective. I want you to just use this as an example of how to study some Old Testament stories. My number two objective, I want us to see from this story how you can lead an overcoming life, how the answers are there. And then I want us also, number three, I want us to contrast the two Old Testament kings, Saul and David. I want us to see how two types of Christians the carnal Christian and the spirit-led Christian. Now, a lot of people claim to be spirit-filled, but there really is a difference between being spirit-filled and spirit-led. And the one that is spirit-led, that's the one that's going to be an overcomer. That's the one that's going to go on with God into the things that God has. Now, both of these men, King Saul and King David, they were both men of God. They both had a covenant. They both had the promises of God. And Saul now, he's the great king of Israel at this time. Now the Bible tells us that he was head and shoulders taller than anybody else in the land. The Bible tells us that he was a very handsome man, that everybody looked twice when they saw King Saul. So he looked like a king. Now he was Israel's Goliath, you might say. In fact, he was stronger than anybody else physically. He was politically stronger. And he had, like I say, the same exact covenant that David had. But because he got into fear and because he got into reasoning and because he did not use the covenant that he had, it didn't do him a bit of good and he failed. Now David acts in faith. He believes God. He believes the promises of God. He takes God completely at his word and he becomes an overcomer. Now as we go through this story now, I want you to see the symbolism. I want you to make a comparison. Just like we compare the two kings, I want you to make a comparison between the two types of Christians, the carnal Christian and the spirit-led. Now, just like Saul and David both had a covenant, I want it to be imprinted in our spirit that we do have a covenant. Whether we're acting as a carnal Christian or a spirit-led Christian, we do have a covenant. Now, the carnal Christian will be influenced by the world, though. 
the carnal Christian is going to be influenced by their reasoning, they're going to be influenced by fleshly desires, and they will lead a defeated life. Now, David is the representation of the spirit-led Christian. And as we see the way he reacts in different situations, we're going to find how to become an overcomer. Now, God does not promise that there'll be no battles. It would be nice if we had that promise in the Bible, but you won't find that promise in the Word of God. But he does promise victory to the one who overcomes. In fact, when you go to the end of the book, Jack was talking about the end of the book, in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, we find that there are many rewards listed, and every single time the rewards are promised to the overcomer. So it's very important for us to go to the Word of God and find out how to become an overcomer. Now, this story is a type and shadow, or more or less a panorama of how to overcome the giants in our life. So it's a valuable story. Now, first, we need to identify our giants. Now, it was easy for David to identify his giant, but we need to identify ours. What are some of the giants that we have to overcome in this day and age? Okay, we've got to overcome sin. We've got to overcome all kinds of doubts and fears and sickness, marital problems, problems in other relationships. We've got to overcome habits, religiosity. There's a lot of things that we have to overcome. All of the curses that have been handed down in our family. These are our giants in the 20th century. And we're going to start with verse 20 of 1 Samuel 17. And we're going to find out ways, just steps in which God has given us to overcome these giants in our life. Okay, starting with verse 20, it says that David rose early in the morning. Okay, an overcomer is going to start his day early with God, spiritually speaking. Now that may include rising early to be alone with God first, or it may be spending some time with God later on in the day. But this is symbolic of God's being early or God's being first in every single thing in our life. And as we go through, if you'll just circle these phrases and put out the typology, you'll find that as you come back, it'll really refresh you. You know, once we're in the middle of our day or once we're in the middle of our battle, if we haven't trained our spiritual hearing early on, if we haven't trained ourselves to be listening to God, to be influenced by God rather than the things of the world, we'll find out that our circumstances will just take us under. We'll begin to mistake the thoughts of our reasoning with God's voice if we haven't started first with God. And so David rose early in the morning and he left the flock with a keeper and he took the supplies and he went as Jesse had commanded him. Now Jesse was his father. We're going to find out that there is a requirement of obedience if we want to live the overcoming life. You know, we quote Isaiah 119 all the time, but we need to circle that and mark it in our Bibles. You know, when we're willing and obedient, that's when we're going to eat the good of the land. Now, David was obedient to the one who was over him in authority. And obedience is an absolute necessity if we're going to lead the overcoming life. Now, the last part of verse 20 says that he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle array and they were shouting the war cry. In other words, it was noisy. He was hearing battle array. You can't walk the overcoming life without hearing the battle cries all around you. The sound of war is all around us all the time. You know, the enemy makes sure that we're hearing his noise. And 
if we've trained ourselves, then we're not going to be frightened by the battle cries that we hear. Now, those war cries, they could have brought a tremendous amount of fear on this little 17-year-old boy. But the reason he wasn't frightened by the battle cries is because he knew who his God was. Now, that's what's going to keep the battle cries in this day and age from terrifying us. It's when we know who we are in Christ Jesus. See, Isaiah 26, verse 3 tells us that it's the one whose mind is stayed on God, stayed on the Word of God. That's the one that will stay in perfect peace. And that's the only thing that's going to give us peace in this day and age is keeping our mind and our thoughts and our heart on exactly what God has to say to us because there's a battle going on out there. Now, there's two things that you're going to notice right off in this verse 20 about the overcoming life. The people that get ahead spiritually and the people that do well are going to do those two things. They're going to put God first and they're going to be in obedience. Okay, in verse 21, Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array army against army. Circle that army against army. See, under the new covenant, our battle is not against flesh and blood. The Bible tells us that in Ephesians chapter 6. They had a physical enemy in the Old Testament, but our enemies under the new covenant are spiritual enemies. And we need to be aware of that or Satan will keep us fighting with each other. But it is indeed an army against army. It's not flesh and blood against flesh and blood, but we're fighting army, the army of light against the army of darkness. And it's army against army. And in verse 22, David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper. There's someone that has been assigned to keep the baggage. Even back there in their war, they had someone assigned to take care of the baggage. There was a baggage keeper. So David got rid of the things that were weighting him down. And we need to ask ourselves, what is it that's weighting me down? Every single one of us has some things in our life that's weighting us down. Did you know that there is someone that has been assigned to take care of our baggage? You can name what it is. You know. You know what holds you back. I know what holds me back. But I have to keep reminding myself that there's a baggage keeper. Matthew 13, verse 22 tells us that what keeps us out of kingdom living many times is the worries and the cares of this world. That's our baggage, that's heavy weight. But 1 Peter 5, 7 says that we can take every bit of that and cast it over on him because he cares for us. Later, look up Hebrews 12, verse 1, but it tells us that we have to lay aside our encumbrances. Okay, that's just talking about weight. That's talking about laying aside sins in our life so that we can run the race with endurance. We cannot run the race with endurance if we're weighted down, if, if we have sin or weight holding us back. Now, we come up with a lot of ways to get rid of our weights and our sin. Man always tries to come up with his own ways. And many times we'll develop a hard conscience to get rid of our weights or to get rid of the sin. Sometimes we pay penance to try to ease our conscience. Sometimes we just get with our fellow brothers and sisters and we put on a happy face and we leave all of our worries and cares at home. But we find out when we get home, they're still there waiting on us. Nothing is going to work except taking those weights and leaving them with the one that has been assigned to be the baggage keeper, and that's Jesus. And then at the mid part of verse 22, after David had left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper, then he was able to run into the battle line. 
he could run when he got rid of the weight. Anytime we're weighted down with worries and cares and sin, we're not going to be able to run. But when we cast it on the Lord, it's amazing how we're prepared, how that helps us to run into the battle. And then he runs into the battle and he enters in order to greet his brothers in verse 22. Okay, he was bringing greetings to those brothers because they've been out there in the battle for a good while. Now, this should have been a really happy time for those brothers. They should have been really excited to have news from home. He was also bringing food. This could have been a blessing to David's brothers if they had received it. Well, we also have spiritual brothers and sisters who have been in the heat of the battle for a long time. You can look around and you can see brothers and sisters that have really been fighting. And when we get the worries and cares off of our shoulders by giving them over to the Lord, then we can be a blessing bearer to our brethren. In fact, David's father was the one that had sent him to minister blessing. Well, our Heavenly Father has made us ambassadors. He sent us to be a blessing to our brothers and sisters who are battle fatigued. And in verse 23, as he was talking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines, and he spoke these same words, and David heard them. And when all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him, and they were greatly afraid. Okay, I want you to underline, they heard and they saw. That's a good description of the world. Now, the world is hearing the giants, the world is seeing the giants, and many times what we're doing, we're fleeing in great fear. In other words, the world is constantly hearing reports of calamity everywhere. When you think about it, there's a calamity happening somewhere in the world every moment of every day. The world is seeing the destruction all around them. There's cancer, there's car wrecks, there's banks folding, there's divorce, hurricanes, there's bomb threats. You can just name on and on and on. So no wonder the world is in fear. And when we go by what we see and we go by what we hear, and we're not willing to go by faith in, in what God's Word says, then there's nothing that we can do except flee in fear. The Bible says in the last day that men's hearts will fail from the fear. And we find that that fear becomes contagious because fear always talks the problem. That's exactly what was going on here. If you look at verse 25, the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that's coming up? Surely he's coming up to defy Israel. That's a perfect type and shadow of the world. Every time we get into fear, we're going to talk it to somebody else, and we're going to hear it, and, and then it's just going to keep rolling. See, fear always talks, and when it does, it magnifies the problem. But the reward to the overcomer is listed right there in verse 25. It says, And it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches. He'll give him his daughter and he will make his father's house free in Israel. Okay, right in the midst of all the fear talk, the promised rewards are listed. The Bible says where evil abounds, there the grace of God is in greater abundance. And we're going to find in the midst of a world that's full of chaos, right in the midst of it, God's given us every answer that we'll ever need. It's right there listed. And if we'll take those answers rather than look and hear what's going on in the world, then we'll be able to move on into an overcoming life. Now remember, where there's a problem, there will always be an opportunity. 
In other words, every time there's a problem, there's an opportunity to be an overcomer. And when we're an overcomer, there's a reward that's listed. And so if you'll look there in verse 25, it says the king will enrich the man. You need to underline that. It's the king that will enrich the man. The king represents God. And God offers rewards. He promises to the overcomer that he will enrich us with great riches. He'll prosper us. He promises that he will give us his daughter. And I thought, well, what does that mean, Lord? Well, that means that we get in the king's family. That means we become a son in the king's household. We become adopted into the household of God. And then it's interesting that the next thing that it names is that he will make our family free. Okay, did you know that when you become an overcomer that it brings freedom to your entire household? You know, I've heard so many testimonies where people will talk about the fact that they came to know the Lord and then they were so excited it just spilled over into their children and brothers and sisters and it literally brings freedom to all of their household. So the rewards from God for becoming an overcomer is number one, prosperity, adoption, and freedom. Now those three blessings are promised, but they're promised to the one who becomes an overcomer in battle. And there is a battle to be fought. We're in a spiritual battle. Okay, in verse 26, it said, Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? That simply means that this is a man without a covenant. Simply means that he doesn't belong to God. He doesn't have any promises to stand on. In the Old Testament, circumcision was a symbol. It was a sign of the fact that you belonged to God, that you were under covenant, you were under contract with the God of the universe. Now, David was circumcised under the Abrahamic covenant. Well, today we have a new and a better covenant. And we also have a circumcision. There's a spiritual circumcision that is the sign of our covenant. Jeremiah tells us that we are to be spiritually circumcised in our heart. Jeremiah says that we're to have the old fleshly part of our heart cut away. And that's the sign that we're under contract with God, under covenant with God. So David was saying here in verse 26, he was saying, hey, this is a man that doesn't even acknowledge God. This is a man that doesn't even have a contract with God. What right does he have to taunt the armies of the living God? We're the army of God. What right does he have? Now, David was completely assured of God's will in the matter. He knew they could win. He said, we have a covenant with God. He doesn't. So he knew the word of God. He knew they were going to win. We need to do the same thing that David did when Satan begins to rear his ugly head. We need to come to a place where we realize, hey, I'm the one that has a covenant with God. Satan, what are you doing? Why would you even attempt to taunt the child of the God of the universe? You were defeated 2,000 years ago. When we come to the place where we know that, we really know that, then we're going to be able to stand up just exactly like David did, and we're going to say, I don't even understand this. Why are we even upset? This is a man without a covenant. And we're going to realize Satan can't do anything to us except what we give him permission to do. We're living under an eternal covenant. The new covenant that we have is going to be in effect forever. It's not going to be over at the rapture. 
this covenant is going to be in effect forever. So what circumstance that doesn't line up word of God, what circumstance has the right to lord over us? That needs to sink deep into our spirit. We need to get that inside of us. Now this Israeli army, they didn't doubt that God could do it. They doubted that God would. See, they had past testimonies. They had seen God do miracle after miracle, but they were not using their testimony. That, too, is a type and shadow of carnal Christians. They weren't using the covenant that they had. They didn't want to be a part of that battle. They wanted God to do it for them. They wanted God to maybe strike down Goliath with lightning or something, but they didn't want to be a part of the battle. But we're going to find out when we know that we have a covenant, we're not afraid of the battle. We don't have to fear the battle. We don't even have to get that weary in battle. Now, after David had made his quality decision that he was going to attack the enemy, well, we find out then the enemy comes and attacks him in three major ways. Now, I want you to mark these down because these are the three ways that Satan always attacks. Sometimes when we know what the attack is going to be, it's easier to fight it. But he's going to attack, number one, with persecution. I can promise you that if you live a godly life, you're going to be persecuted. He's going to attack with reasoning because we live in this world, and he's going to attack with fear because his very nature is fear. I'm going to point these out in this story as we go along. But David has made his stand. He's made his stand that he is a covenant man. He's made his confession of faith. He's made his quality decision. And I want you to notice who is the very first one that comes in to challenge that decision that he's made for God. In verse 28, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard that he had spoken to the men, and Eliab's anger burned against David, and he said, Why have you come down, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence, I know the wickedness of your heart, for you've come down in order just to see the battle. Okay, it was his own brother that came against him. It was his own brother that put him down. Now, it was Satan's attack, but we're going to find out that Satan uses people. He'll use the mouth of other people, and many times he'll use the person that may even be closest to us. Now, persecution is one of the things that will come to try to discourage us. David was being persecuted. He was being falsely accused by a jealous brother. And in the last part of verse 28, he's saying, I know the wickedness of your heart. I know you're insolent. So he was judging David's heart. He was judging his motives. Now that hurts. It doesn't hurt nearly as badly to have our motives judged by a stranger and to be falsely accused by a stranger. But I'm going to tell you what, it does hurt when it comes from a close friend or family member or a spiritual brother. That hurts. Okay, what if David then had run home at this point? What if he had run home to his father Jesse and he had said, Father, you won't believe what Eliab did to me in front of all those men. He made me feel so foolish. He put me down in front of the whole army. Well, thank goodness David didn't do that because the battle would have been lost at that point. But that is the natural tendency. Satan comes at us to persecute us, to get us to pull back, to draw back. Many times he'll put us down and cause us to get into hurt. And if we're carnal-minded at that point, that's exactly what we'll do. We'll pull back. We'll retreat. We'll lick our wounds. And usually we'll run to somebody else and we'll tell someone else how badly we've been treated. But that's a good way to lose the battle. 
Okay, what's another natural inclination when we've been hurt? Well, we tend to want to justify ourselves. In verse 29, David said, what have I done? Was it not just a question? Okay, many times we try to think of whatever we can do to make ourselves look good. But God tells us in Isaiah 54 that a part of our inheritance as a child of the king is that he will vindicate us. And God will. He'll vindicate us in front of our enemies if we'll trust him to do that. Now, God certainly vindicated David's heart on this issue. He's very well vindicated before this is over. And in verse 31, when the words which David spoke were heard, they were told to Saul, and Saul sent for David. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail on account of the giant. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And let's start with that one. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. Okay, when David has made his quality decision now to make his stand against the enemy, we're going to find immediately another attack comes in, and that's reasoning. I want you to see that in verse 33. Then Saul said to David, You're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him. You're but a youth. He's been a warrior from his youth. Okay, now what Saul said here sounded very reasonable. When you look back, in fact, turn back to verse 4. Look at the description of this giant. He was a champion that came out of the army of the Philistines. His name was Goliath. He was from Gath. His height was six cubits and a span. That's nine feet, nine inches tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He was clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. That's 180 pounds that he was carrying around on his body. He also had bronze on his legs, a bronze javelin that was slung between his shoulders. And his spear was like a weaver's beam. The head of that spear weighed 600 shekels of iron, and he had a shield carrier that walked out in front of him. Okay, if you looked at that giant and you looked at what all he had on him, all of his armor, then what Saul said would have sounded pretty reasonable. Now, one thing that makes it hard to realize when something is coming from the enemy is when it sounds so reasonable. And a lot of times what people will say to us coming from the enemy will really make good sense. Now, Satan can always find a carnal, well-meaning Christian to reason with you. And they'll tell you some things that sound pretty logical. And many battles are lost right at this point when we begin to listen to carnal reasoning. Now, reasoning sounds so reasonable. That's why it's called reasoning. But that's exactly what Saul did. He told David, he said, you're too young. You're not going to be able to stand against the giant. Okay, what do we hear from the enemy? We hear, oh, you can't witness. What if they ask you a question and you won't know the answer? You don't know the word well enough. You know, we've all heard that. Or maybe symptoms come on our body and the reasoning comes in. Boy, these really do look bad. Or am I sure that the word works? Or maybe it's not going to work for me. I don't know really that I've been good enough for the word to work for me. I did lose my temper this morning. So maybe it's not going to work for me. See, Satan comes in with reasonable-sounding things in our mind. Now, David was not thrown off by that reasoning, but that's a type and a shadow of the example that we need to follow after when this logical reasoning is thrown at us. 
God wants us to determine that we're not going to be thrown off track. Now remember, that negative reasoning can come, number one, directly through mind thoughts that Satan puts in our mind, or number two, it can come through the mouth of another person. But it's still coming from the enemy. Okay, what was David's answer then to the reasoning? In verse 34, David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. Okay, I want you to stop and think about this. Saul had just told him, there's no way you can fight that giant. And I'm sure he, if David had not seen the giant, I'm sure that King Saul described the giant to him. And most of the time, we would stand back and we'd say, oh my goodness, I had better pray about this just a little bit longer. But I want you to circle this. This was David's answer. He didn't do that. He immediately begins to think of how God has met his need in the past. He immediately begins to talk about the lion and the bear that he's killed by God's power. And he said, I went out after the lion and I attacked him and I rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by the beard and I struck him and I killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine, this man without a covenant, will be like one of them since he has taunted the enemies of the living God. Okay, I want you to think about what David is saying here. David is saying that he not only had a lion attack his animals, but he ran at the lion. He attacked the lion. David is using his past testimony to answer the reasonings, those logical reasonings that was coming. Revelation 12 verse 11 tells us that we overcome by the blood of the lamb first. We can't win a battle without the blood of the lamb. That's what Jesus did for us. But we also win by our testimony. That's times in the past when we've seen God's word work. Now, you may not have developed much of a testimony yet, but if you haven't, then you need to take the word of God, take what the word of God says, and begin to operate in the word of God, begin to quote the word of God, and you'll find that as you release faith in the word of God, you'll start building your testimony. But most of you out there, you have seen God work in your life. And so take those times when God has worked in your life and begin to remind yourself and remind the enemy of those times when you've seen the word work. And what it'll do, it'll begin to build faith on the inside of you to meet this new challenge. Because every new challenge that comes, it's going to look big. It's going to look a little overpowering. But as you remind yourself what God's done in the past, all of a sudden you realize, hey, this is not so bad. I can win again with God's help. And so David reminded the enemy. And in verse 35, that's when he said, I went after him, I attacked him, I seized it from his mouth, and when he rose up against me, I seized him by the beard, I struck him and killed him. Now, that is an awesome testimony. And most everyone out here has an awesome testimony of something that God's done in the past that we can use to give us the faith and the strength the next time that we're met with a challenge from the enemy. And notice, again in verse 36, he's again referring to the fact that he's uncircumcised. He doesn't have a covenant. We need to constantly remind ourselves that we do have a covenant. Now, when the enemy comes in, we need to remind the enemy and remind ourselves, if God be for me, who can be against me? The Bible says that neither principalities nor powers 
nor things present, nor things to come, nor things under the earth or above the earth. Nothing, no created thing can keep us from becoming an overcomer if we have Christ who's dwelling in us, who's working in us. That's what it means to be a covenant man. Now, David has meditated on his covenant day and night. He's meditated on everything that God has done for him. And so in verse 37, then he is able to say, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Okay, he's able to say that because he knows he's a covenant man. Now, when David is getting ready to go out and meet the giant, Saul and the men of Israel now, they really began to show their colors. Look what Saul says at the end of verse 37. Saul says to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Okay, now Saul was such a chicken to put a 17-year-old kid out there on the front lines. When you think about that, he's the one that should have been going out into battle. He was Israel's champion. But he knew that David was going to be killed, but he also knew that he wasn't going. So this was the best thing that he could come up with. If David was willing to go, well, go and may the Lord be with you. Well, haven't we heard people say that? Well, that's okay for you. It's not okay for me, but I'll be praying for you. <laughs> You're going, I'll be praying for you. And I'm sure those men were saying, David, we're behind you. We're way behind you, you know. But in verse 38, Saul then decides he's going to do everything he can to prepare David. But he uses his carnal reasoning again. And in verse 38, Saul clothes David with his garments and he puts bronze helmet on his head and he clothes him with armor and David is girded with Saul's sword over the armor. And notice that, underline it, he tries to walk. Can't you just see the, a picture of that? Man has always come up with his own plan of protection. It's always a temptation to go the world's way because the world's constantly trying to think of ways to protect themselves. And so it's easy to hear that and be tempted to go that way. But too many times we'll read the Word of God and we want to hang on to the Word of God, but we also want to hang on to the world just for a little extra measure of protection. And that's never going to work unless God tells us to do it a certain way that the world uses. And if God tells us to do it that way, then it's God's way. It's become a tool in God's hands. But it can't be our plan B. Our extra precautions, just in case God doesn't come through, we're going to find they always fail. Our plan Bs can never be our source. Now, when the world's way becomes our source, then we're going to find out that we're just exactly like David. We're going to find out we can't walk. It just doesn't work for us. Now, one of the ways you can see if the things of the world are your source, just ask yourself, where does my mind run first in the time of a crisis? That's the best way you can tell what your source is. Where does my mind run first in time of a crisis? Does your mind run first to an insurance policy? In a financial crisis, when that comes, does your mind run first to a bank account or maybe to the bank to see if you can borrow some money? In, when symptoms come on your body, does your mind run first to the doctor? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the doctor or, or bank accounts or any of these things, but if that's where our mind runs first, 
then we're going to find that really is our primary source. Now, we need to ask ourselves, if my mind runs first to God and I began to seek God, I began to ask God what he would have me to do, and then I follow his plan of action, then I'm going to find that it's going to turn out. Now, if we're dependent upon anything other than God, then we're going to find that we're going to lose our peace of mind, we're going to lose the victory because God's not our primary source. Okay, look at the last part of verse 39. Okay, David has girded himself with all these things, but he finds that he's not tested them. So David says to Saul, I can't go out with these things on, for I've not tested them. So David takes it all off. Now, David wasn't comfortable with Saul's source of security. David was used to God, and he was used to the things that God had ordained. And so David takes off the equipment of Saul. He takes off the things of the world. And in verse 40, he took his stick in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. He put them in his shepherd's bag, which he had, even in his pouch, and his sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. Okay, he went back and he got the tested weapons of warfare, the things that God had taught him to use. Okay, what are the tested weapons of our warfare? In 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 and 5, we find that the weapons of our warfare that God has given to us, they have been divinely empowered so that we can pull down strongholds, so that we can take every thought captive, so that we can pull down every lofty thing that has been raised up against the knowledge of God. That simply means anything that contradicts God's word, and we pull it down with our weapons of warfare. Now, we have weapons that God has tested for us, and he assures us those weapons will work, and they will. When we've tried them, they work. Now, Saul had the armor of the world. We find that we too have armor. It's not the armor of the world, but our armor is the armor of Ephesians 6, verse 11, the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth from the word of God and the sword, which is the word. We also have the shield of faith. And then preparation is a part of our armor, our shoes, the preparation. Okay, David gathered up his weapons. He prepared for battle. He didn't just say, oh boy, God's going to take care of me and then run headlong into the Philistine. But he takes time to prepare first. He took the time to gather his weapons. Now there's a time of preparation. And every one of us have probably... Uh, could give testimony to the time when we've run out ahead of God and we haven't taken time to prepare. And when that happens, we're going to find that we're untrained and we're unprepared, we're undisciplined, and it doesn't work. Now, he gets five smooth stones. Okay, what is our rock? What's our stone? Well, the Bible tells us that it's Jesus. Jesus is our cornerstone. He's our rock. He's the life giver. And he gives us, as our five weapons... He gives us his blood, he gives us his word, he gives us his name, he gives us his praise, he gives us even his faith. And so David's five stones here, that's a type and shadow of our five weapons that is all included in Jesus, who is our rock. Okay, we find then that Jesus is our salvation. And that word salvation in the Greek, it means five things, five provisions. It's health, it's deliverance, it's protection, it's provision, and it's guidance. 
So we find that those five stones are a representation of our weapons. It's a representation of our salvation. And all of it, he used one stone, all of it is in Jesus Christ, our cornerstone. And in verse 41, then, the Philistine came on and approached David with the shield bearer in front of him. Now, I've read this story so many times, but I'd never noticed that that big giant has a shield bearer going out in front of him. Well, that giant is a representation of the enemy. And we find that the enemy has shield bearers in front of him. They're running interference. What is it that runs interference for the devil? Okay, it's hordes of demon spirits. Most of the time, we're not fighting the devil. In fact, we may have never fought the devil head on. We're fighting demon spirits every day. And in verse 42, when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth. Okay, now, Satan tries to put us down. He tries to belittle us. He's trying to call our bluff. He's trying to make us feel inadequate and unsure of ourselves trying to make us forget who we are. Every time Satan puts us down, it's to try to make us forget who we are in Jesus. Now, making David feel like a child or feel like a youth could have been very intimidating because he was just a 17-year-old kid. But David didn't pay any attention to that. And that's exactly how we should react to Satan's intimidating fear tactics. We need to answer him with the word of God, but pay him no mind as far as believing his lies. Anytime we began to listen, we began to think, well, you know, who am I to be in this battle? I am but a youth. I don't know the word of God like I should. And if we keep listening, those lofty things will raise up in our mind and they'll become strongholds that keep us from believing God's word. Now, David's a good example here of how to resist the devil. And in verse 43, the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you should come to me with sticks? He's going to try another tactic. Now, I think it's interesting that another word for Satan is the dog. Now, let me show you something here. Satan is always taking the things of God and perverting them, turning them around, distorting them. And many times we'll say, oh, well, boy, God's way is so backward to the world's way. Well, it's not God's way that's backward. God's way is the right way. The world's way is backwards. We just think of God's way as being backwards because we're so used to looking at the way the world does it. But that's what Satan has done. He's turned the good around and he's perverted it. And when you look at the word dog spells backwards, it's interesting that it spells God's when it's backwards. So Satan tries to make himself to be a god, but he's so perverted that he turns out to become a dog instead. No wonder he hates that word dog. Now Goliath was insulted. He didn't want to be looked upon as a dog. And in the last part of verse 43, he began to curse David by his gods. He tried to curse David. Now, the enemy has no way of hurting us unless we allow him permission. But he will try to deceive us so that he can come in and curse us with his gods. Now, what are his gods? Well, when you think of it in this day and age, the gods that Satan tries to use against us to curse us It'll be compromise, it'll be bitterness, it'll be strife, it'll be deception, it'll be worldliness, it'll be the things of the world. These are the things that he tries to deceive us, and if he can deceive us so that we let those things in, then it will begin to curse us. We'll begin to see that curse come on our life. 
but he doesn't have any right if we stand our ground and we know that he can't come in because we have a covenant. And in verse 44, the Philistine also said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Okay, that's the next attack of Satan. When he gets us into the heat of the battle, he tries to use fear. That's one of the three attacks, persecution, reasoning, and then fear. But remember, Satan is a liar. Goliath was a liar. So don't listen to these fear tactics. You know, back in verse 9, we find that Goliath had promised that if he was defeated, that the rest of the army, the Philistine army, would serve Israel as their servants. Well, they weren't going to do that. They ran off. They had no intention of doing that. So the enemy tries to make deals with us, but it's always a lie because he always reneges on his promises. So don't bargain with him. He'll never hold up on his end of the bargain. But remember, his fear tactics are always lies. He's the father of lies. Everything he says to you is a lie unless we receive it in and take it in. He's always trying to say, I'm going to put cancer on you or I'm going to kill your child. Or one of his very favorite things is to say, the problem that you have is something that you're just going to have to live with. You're never going to be able to get rid of it. That's a part of your emotional makeup, or that's a part of your mental makeup. That's just the way you are, and so you're going to have to live with it. That's your cross to bear. And that's one of his very favorite things, because any time we've had something that has plagued us for a long time, Satan makes us think, or tries to make us think, we can't get rid of it. But that's baloney. That's the lie of the enemy. It's the bondage that's coming from the enemy, and he does not want us to know that we can get set totally free. You can be free of any harassment that the enemy has tried to put on you. You don't have to put on it up with it. You don't have to fight it every day of your life. You can get victory over it. But Satan's favorite tactic, and that's his fear tactic, and it's also his lie to try to make you think that you have to put up with it. Now, these are demon spirits that say these things to us. We've listened to it so long, we think it's our own thinking. But that's demonic spirits. But it'll go if we want it to leave badly enough. And it'll go if we use our authority and make it leave. We don't have to put up with the bondage of the enemy. Now, David knew who he was. He knew that his enemy was without a covenant, and he knew that he couldn't touch him because he had a covenant, and he knew that he had that. But David had to believe God's word more than he believed the giant. And that's our example. We've got to come to a place where we believe what God's word says more than we believe what the enemy says to us. Now, David was human. I'm sure there was a temptation to fear, but it's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin when we fall for that temptation. Now, Satan's circumstances that he put around David, they could have looked really big if David had compared himself to the giant. See, our circumstances many times will look really bad, but it's because we're comparing ourselves to the problem. See, Israel compared themselves to Goliath. And they looked very small in comparison. But David compared the giant to God, and so it made the giant look small. Now, it's all in who we're comparing to what. And so the next time that something comes, it'll come against you, and you'll feel like the wind gets knocked out of you. But you stop and realize at that moment you're comparing the problem to yourself. 
and stop immediately and begin to compare that problem to God and you'll find that it'll become small. All of a sudden it'll become small in comparison. Now our answer to the enemy needs to be exactly what David said in verse 45. David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the army of Israel, whom you've taunted. Okay, that's our authority. Now that's one requirement for our protection is when we state our authority. I come to you in the name of the Lord God of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. Now when we make our proclamation, when we choose to believe that, then God says he will deliver us from the snare of the trapper, from the trap that the enemy has laid. Now David speaks forth his authority there in verse 45, and that gives him the courage then to speak forth the victory in verse 46. He's able to speak it forth before he even sees it. He said, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down. I will remove your head from you. I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky, the wild beasts of the earth, and all of the earth will know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Okay, now lots of people whisper their confession to the enemy, but David gave a bold confession of faith based on the word of God. Now, I personally believe that we will never be able to be confident and bold in our confessions of faith until we really realize who we are in Christ. I think that's the secret. The keys back in verse 45, when we realize that we're coming to the enemy in the name of the Lord God Almighty, when we realize who we are. And then notice down in verse 47, he said God's not going to deliver by sword and spear. Okay, God's way is not going to be by our might and by our power. And as long as we think we're the one having to do it, then we get frightened and, and we lose the battle. That's where we have to keep our eyes on the fact that it's God's power. We've got to compare that problem to God, and that problem becomes small. Now, there's always going to be a temptation to fight with earthly weapons. Just one example, someone will do us an injustice, and we're tempted to retaliate. That's an earthly weapon. There's a lot of earthly weapons that we've trained ourselves to use through the years. But we have to say, no, that's a weapon of the world. God will deliver me, but it's not going to be by sword or by spirit. It's going to be by the spirit of the living God. Okay, verse 48. Then it happened when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. Okay, David met the enemy head on. He didn't wait for the enemy to come and then fight him defensively. Now, too many times we're running away from the enemy and we're turning our head over our shoulder and we're telling the enemy what the word says while we're on the run. I found by experience that the quickest way to win is when we meet the enemy head on and we decide that we're going to fight offensively instead of defensively. Now, let me give you an example of fighting defensively. And I've done this and you may have too. But many times I thought, oh, no, it's the enemy again. Oh, Lord, I don't know whether I can stand this much longer. Lord, by the stripes of Jesus, I'm healed. Or, Lord, I thank you, you're going to meet all my needs. Well, see, we've waited until the attack has come, and then we're just very weakly 
fighting defensively. And I've done that before. But when I look at this example of offensive fighting and I realize I've got to run headlong into the battle, then we need to come back and we need to say, no, you don't, Satan. I'm a child of the living God. I dwell in the shelter of the Most High. I abide in the shadow of the Almighty. God is my source. He's the truth. He's the one that's going to win. I'm not going to be afraid of the things that are coming against me. I have a blood covering over me, and it will not approach me, so you be gone in the name of Jesus. See, we've got to learn the difference between fighting offensively and fighting defensively after the enemy's come. We've got to take up our sword, and we've got to run boldly toward the enemy and shout the battle cry. There's something about that kind of approach that builds faith on the inside of us for the battle. I used to watch these guys that played football and they'd get down there and meet each other nose to nose and wait and I would hear them growling sometimes. And I used to think they were trying to scare their opponent. Well, I realized they weren't trying to scare their opponent. They were trying to build faith up inside of themselves, courage up inside of themselves. Well, that's what we do. When we begin to run headlong and quote the word of God, we're building courage and faith that's coming a bold confession of the word of God. And in verse 49, David puts his hand into his bag. He took from it a stone and he slung it. Now, David has been saying his confession of faith. And now he's going to put his faith into action because faith is an act. And the last part of verse 49, it struck the Philistine on his forehead, the stone sunk deep into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. Okay, one of the very first promises we have in Genesis 3.15, one of the very first prophecies, is that the enemy will be overthrown and his head will be crushed. Okay, every time we appropriate the word of God, every time we appropriate what Jesus did, we are crushing the head of Satan and his kingdom. So this is symbolic here. This stone, our stone is Jesus Christ. This stone crushed the head of the enemy. And in verse 50, David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. He struck the Philistine and killed him, and there was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, took Goliath's own sword, drew it out of his sheath, killed him, and cut his head off with it. Okay, victory is always going to come if we don't shrink back. If we'll put forth the word of God and use the word uncompromisingly and know who we are in Christ, we'll get the victory. But this is just an added bonus. David used Goliath's sword and turned it back on the enemy. God allows us to take the things of the enemy, the evil weapons of the enemy, and he allows us to even have those things turned around to destroy the very evil itself. And that's why we can read in the Word and find that God will take what was meant for evil. He'll turn it around and he'll use it in our behalf. Sometimes he makes it turn out so good that it's almost tempting to give God credit for the evil to begin with because he turns it and uses it in such a powerful way to overcome evil. And then the last part of verse 51, when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now, anytime we destroy the strong man, the others will flee. And I found this to be true in my life. I found it to be true in the lives of so many other people that I've dealt with. We'll deal with harassment over and over and over, and finally we get fed up with it and we'll go after the root cause. I really want you to hear this. It is amazing how many times we have little harassing 
irritating things that plague us all the time. And if we'll go after the root, after the root cause, we'll find then we've gotten the strong man and all these other things will flee. Some people who have put up with all kinds of physical infirmities, finally they'll deal with maybe something like bitterness or unforgiveness. They'll find out what the root cause is. And they'll find then all those physical infirmities just began to improve. Because when we've defeated the strong man, the other things will flee. Okay, in verse 52, the men of Israel and Judah, boy, they see that David has overcome the giant, and what do they do? Now they rise up and they run with him, and they began to kill the Philistines all along the way. All of a sudden, they've gotten great courage again. Well, David is an overcomer. And it did speak faith to the other ones. But that is a type and shadow of the fact that when we operate in faith and when we overcome, that too becomes contagious. That's part of God's way. Now, there's still some giants in the land that are taunting God's people. There's some giants in the land that will taunt different ones in our body. And we have to make up our mind, who will we be? Will we be a Saul or will we be a David? When the enemy comes to taunt us, are we going to be a Saul or are we going to be a David? See, it is a choice. It's a choice. Now, I want you to close your eyes for just a moment, and I want us to get in the Spirit and allow the Lord to speak to each one of us. This is not going to be an altar call because every one of us could find ourselves in one area or another that we've just gone through today. We can find ourselves there because... There's an answer for every single problem that we could come up with having to do with the overcoming life. But I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to just minister to you just a moment. Because if we don't take these Bible studies and appropriate them right where we're living, we're going to find out they really don't do us that much good. If we say that we're going to be a David and that we are going to be an overcomer, if we've made that quality decision, then as I just name some of these things, I want you to be very honest with God and just ask yourself if you really are allowing the Holy Spirit to make you an overcomer in these areas. We need to ask ourselves, am I really putting you first, Lord? That's the very first thing. Am I really putting you first? I want you to be honest with yourself and I want you to ask yourself if there are some heavy weights or some sin or some baggage that you have never laid over on the baggage keeper. Jesus is our baggage keeper and, and if you've got something right now that's weighting you down or if you've got something that's holding you back or if you've got a hidden sin, the Lord's wanting you to leave it with him because that's the only way we're going to be able to run headlong into the battle and win. There's some of us that, some that may have not even recognized that there is a battle. We may just be thinking, well, this is just harassment. This is just daily harassment that, that comes against me. But we've got to realize that we are in a battle. We're in a spiritual battle. We've got to realize that there's going to be some persecution, and it may even come from some of our closest relatives, and it may come from some of our closest friends. We've got to determine in our heart that we're not going to let hurts cause us to retreat and lick our wounds, and get sympathy from someone else. Thank you for listening. 
Please share this teaching with anyone you think it would minister to. If you would like to listen to more in-depth teachings, please sign up for our Psalm 91 family at PeggyJoyceRuth.org.